Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Is a U.S. president above the law? The lead starts right now. Donald Trump's day in court, his legal team argues why the former president cannot be prosecuted even if his actions were criminal. The side eye of skepticism from the judges who will now decide how this case proceeds. And six days before the crucial contest in Iowa, a new CNN poll from another key early primary state shows a candidate gaining ground on the GOP frontrunner. Plus, the defense secretary treated for prostate cancer, the revelation as the Pentagon is pressed on his hospital status and why the president didn't know one of his top cabinet members was in the hospital and couldn't do his job. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Pamela Brown in for Jake Tapper, who is on assignment getting ready for tomorrow's CNN Republican presidential debate. And we start today with our law and justice lead and former President Donald Trump in a federal courtroom. As his lawyers argued, he should be immune from facing charges for any alleged crimes he committed while in office. Now, the three appeals court judges appeared skeptical of Trump's arguments that he was working in his official capacity as president when he tried to overturn the 2020 election. And in one of the most stunning moments, Trump's lawyer suggested immunity would also cover a president who used the U.S. military to assassinate a political opponent, saying the president could only be charged if impeached and convicted by Congress first. Let's get straight to CNN's Paula Reed with a closer look at the arguments made in court today and what comes next. Good afternoon. Former President Trump traveled to Washington Tuesday to watch arguments in a federal appeals court hearing over whether he should be shielded from criminal prosecution. I feel that as a president, you have to have immunity. Very simple. Trump was not required to be in attendance, but was in court to witness the three-judge panel express skepticism of his claim that he cannot be prosecuted for his actions unless he is first impeached and convicted by Congress. Could a president order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival? That's an official act in order to SEAL Team 6? He would have to be and would speedily be, you know, uh, uh, impeached and convicted before the criminal but prosecution. I asked you a yes, no, yes or no question. There is a political process that would have to occur under our, the structure of our Constitution, which would require impeachment and conviction by the Senate in these exceptional cases. Trump's lawyers argued that when trying to overturn the 2020 election, Trump was acting in his official capacity. To authorize the prosecution of a president for his official acts would open a Pandora's box from which this nation may never recover. 
Trump's lawyer also warned that if this near absolute immunity was not recognized, there could be a possibility of vindictive prosecutions against political rivals. It would authorize, for example, the indictment of President Biden in the Western District of Texas after he leaves office for mismanaging the border, allegedly. The special counsel rejected these arguments, noting that charges were brought in this case because of what they describe as extraordinary conduct. Never before has there been allegations that a sitting president has, with private individuals and using the levers of power, sought to fundamentally subvert the Democratic Republic and the electoral system. And argued that impeachment and conviction through a political process should not be required before a criminal prosecution. I think it would be awfully scary if there weren't some sort of mechanism by which to reach that uh, in, criminally. It's unclear how long it will take the judges to come back with their decision. And from here, this case could go to the full appellate panel or the Supreme Court. Though it's unclear if either one of those courts would take up this issue. And Pamela, just as important as the decision is the timing. Because the longer it takes to resolve this constitutional question, the less likely it is that the federal election subversion case will go to trial before November. All right, we'll be keeping an eye on this. Let's dive in a little bit deeper here with former federal prosecutor and CNN legal analyst Elliot Williams. Elliot, so I want to start with this idea presented by Trump's lawyers that a president is immune from any charges relating to official duties, including carrying out an assassination against a political rival, um, unless the president was convicted or impeached and convicted by Congress first. Does this make any sense to you from a legal perspective? Oh, not at all. Okay. Uh, let's just be blunt here and look. And, I, and I've been a lawyer for a while, watched a lot of appeals, and that was the moment when you watch and say, wow, you have lost these judges, and, and I don't think Trump's team is getting them back. Look, you know, there's a really good argument made that in the looking back at President Ford and Nixon, this idea that Ford had to pardon Nixon after his crimes inherently means that there's, a re there's been a recognition before that a president can be held accountable for crimes. If that were the case, Ford wouldn't needed to have had to pardon Nixon. So this whole idea that there's this fear of conduct that somehow presidents are immune from is just ludicrous. And Judge Pan, Florence Pan today, was the one that really picked on it. And they didn't have an answer for it, because there is no answer for it. You cannot credibly say that a president could call on a drone strike against uh, a peer or, an, or a political candidate and not face political accountability for it simply by resigning. So I think that's where they lost. Yeah, and one of the judges may have been the same one brought up the Nixon example yep. uh, about, you know, why why would Nixon have been part of then? Um, so, Paul, I want to go back to you because the judges today asked about previous comments by Donald Trump. And this was interesting because they brought up the fact that his team, when trying to hold off impeachment during his first term, Trump's team um, said that former office holders would not be immune from facing charges. So basically, this should be left to DOJ, not to Congress. How did that come into play today? It was interesting to watch his now lawyer try to square this. And he argued that, well, yes, they said that. But what they meant is that criminal charges could be brought. And then we could bring up defenses like immunity. That's pretty tough to square. We also have a lot of people calling attention to Mitch McConnell's comments during the second impeachment, where he said, look, the proper place to deal with this is either civil or criminal process. It underscores, too, how political impeachment is and really goes to bolster the special counsel's argument that you can't have this political process as a potential bar to any kind of criminal accountability. And, you know, Trump's attorneys, for their part, they're trying to make the argument that, look, if the court says the president don't have total immunity, that President Biden could be prosecuted in a Texas courtroom for, quote, mismanaging the border. 
Is that something that could really happen? You know, it, it's almost insulting to the practice of law to have to take arguments like that seriously. And I mean it because there is simply no credible basis to an argument like that. Because, and I would direct the former president's attorneys to look uh, in the federal criminal code and identify a crime that you could actually hold Joe Biden accountable for if it's a question of the border. Um, now, you might have policy differences with, with the current president, and that's fine. That's why you have elections. But there is simply nothing criminal about disagreeing with someone on immigration policy or firearms or abortion or anything else. It's just silly, and that is simply not how the federal criminal code works. And there is this one comment by one of Trump's attorneys about President Obama that I'd like to have you fact check for us on the other end here, Paula. Let's listen. The special counsel conceded that if it was President Obama who was being prosecuted for a drone strike, then they'd have to consider immunity. But when it's not, when it's President Trump, then they're taking the position that there's no immunity for presidential acts that were required when a president is carrying out his job responsibilities. But the reality is the argument was much more nuanced, right? It was. And John Lohr is a great lawyer, but look, he's not making that argument in a court of law. He's making it uh, in front of the press. But here, they're trying to argue that these efforts to subvert the election, that this was all part of Trump's official duties, just as uh, calling in a drone strike or starting a war, that those are all part of official things you do in the White House. But that's not how the courts have seen it. In fact, down in Georgia, when Mark Meadows tried to argue that some of these efforts to subvert the election were part of his federal duties, they disagreed. And of course, we have seen this is why presidents have some immunity, so that they're not sued for every drone strike or for things that happen in war. But he is is just putting all of those together, trying to make this argument that clearly there's a double standard when that's just not how the courts so far have seen official duties. And it's unlikely that this court is going to see it that way either. So let's talk about a timeline yeah. here, right? Because you had pointed out, look, I mean, this could, depending on how this comes down, right, we might not see anything until after November of, next, of this year. So how quickly, Elliot, do you think a decision will come from this appeals courts. How quickly could this end up before the Supreme Court? Right. In, in court terms, incredibly quickly, because they've already moved with breakneck speed to get this argued today. The fact that this was even briefed and argued in a matter of weeks is lightning fast in terms of how our appeals courts works. Now, what people may not understand about these courts is that they, the judges and the clerks and the court personnel have been working on this for weeks, if not months. They've been studying the briefs and so on and may already have draft opinions written that they're just refining right now. So you could see an, an opinion come out within days, if not weeks. You know, the former president or whomever else, whoever loses has an opportunity to appeal it to the whole court or the Supreme Court. And again, either of these folks could take it, either of these courts could take it up quite quickly. And I mean, within a matter of weeks, which may not imperil the timeline that, that this was already set on. So Donald Trump is there today. We could see him again in a courtroom later this week, right, Paula? That's right. Uh, but he doesn't have to be there on yeah. Thursday. There's a closing arguments in the civil case up in New York that is very personal to him because at stake there is potentially the Trump organization's ability to do business in the state of New York. We've seen him show up multiple times, even though, again, he's not required to, just like he was not required uh, to be in court today but he's choosing to spend his time uh, making appearances at these proceedings, witnessing them instead of going out and campaigning. All right, Paula Reed, Elliot Williams, thank you so much. And in another case against Trump in Georgia, there is a new effort to disqualify the top prosecutor, Fonnie Willis, accusing her of having a romantic relationship with a lawyer that she put on the case. But first, the 2024 race and tomorrow's CNN Republican presidential debate, how the candidates can make this a breakthrough moment. One of Nikki Haley's biggest supporters joins us next.
This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Well, in our 2024 lead, two weeks before the New Hampshire primary, a brand new CNN poll today shows Nikki Haley cutting Donald Trump's lead down to single digits in the Granite State. Trump leads Haley 39% to 32%, his lead down to seven points. The rest of the field is trailing far behind. Chris Christie at 12%, Vivek Ramaswamy at 8%, and Ron DeSantis at 5%. And support for Haley has surged up 12 points since CNN's last poll back in November, while her opponent's numbers have ticked slightly downward or remain stable. So let's bring in New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, who has endorsed Nikki Haley. Governor, thanks for coming on. This is obviously good news for your candidate. Do you think that Haley will be able to close the gap in time for the New Hampshire primary? Oh, without a doubt. Oh, she's the only candidate that has surging numbers in Iowa or New Hampshire. And the, the numbers in New Hampshire are, are not just closing a gap, but really approaching now Donald Trump. Uh, and at this rate, yeah, she has every opportunity to win here in New Hampshire. And that alone is just a, 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 such a big story, such a national reset um, on the assumptions and the expectation that Trump was just going to win every state and run away with it by double, you know, 20, 30 points. That's clearly not the case. The emperor has no clothes here. Um, and, you know, Chris Christie's still holding that 12%. Obviously, Chris can't win. There's no strategy beyond New Hampshire. There's no uh, a a chance for him to, to overtake even, even a second place. So all those Christie voters are now coming on board. I've, even just today, so many Christie voters coming and talking to us to say, look, we need to make sure Trump has dealt a loss. This is how you do it. This is the path to do it. And so that, I think that in itself will keep this momentum building for Nikki Haley. You've, let's talk about Chris Christie, because you have actually called for him uh, publicly to drop out of this race to consolidate report for Haley. Um, if she doesn't nab New Hampshire, I mean, would you put the blame on Chris Christie for, for taking some of those more moderate voters away? Well, look, there's only one person that wants Chris Christie in this race, and that's Donald Trump, right? A vote for Christie is a vote for Trump. A vote for Christie is a is a vote being taken away from Nikki Haley and, and uh, prevents delivering that loss to the former president. That's what Chris's message, message and mission has always been. He has an opportunity here, whether to, to get out of the race or have his, his supporters galvanized behind Nikki. Um, and again, 
commit on his mission. And once the loss starts here, once he loses that first primary in New Hampshire, they go to the home state of South Carolina for Nikki Haley and with a month to campaign there and close the gap there. So everything gets reset uh, if Chris were to get out of the race. I think he knows that. I'm still hopeful he'll make the right decision. He's done a great job on the race. You got to give him a lot of credit to be sure. But now it's time to say, well, this was kind of a long shot. We always knew he had to consolidate and here's his chance to do it. And he'd be given all the credit in the world if he were. But yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the margin of victory right there. If Chris were out of the race, Nikki wouldn't just be close to Donald Trump. She'd be three or four points ahead of Donald Trump, something no one in the national media thought was possible. So, you know, we're, she's been exceeding expectations, a lot of momentum here. Two weeks mm -hmm. is a long time, a long time in New Hampshire politics, and it's just going to go up for her from, from there. All right, I want to follow up because you said, you know, you, you think Chris Christie knows, sees the writing on the wall, but he has called calls like yours for him to drop out crazy. I'm wondering if there have been any personal, more direct discussions between you and, and Governor Christie and, and Nikki Haley and Governor Christie about, you know, dropping out of this race. I would say this. I think members of his leadership team here in New Hampshire are having those discussions with him. And that's the right folks to do it there. He has no ground game. He's not even trying. Even in the next two or three days, he could be here doing 10 events a day. He's doing like two. So there's, there's no real emphasis of his own campaign here. Um, he's running out of resources. He's not campaigning in any other state. So I think those discussions are, are happening. I know they are with folks on his uh, steering committee. A couple have already left. Um, and how and do so you know, again, I just want to be clear, how do you know those discussions are happening, those personal discussions with Christie to drop out? Because I'm talking to the folks on his steering committee, and they're all saying the same thing. I think they're, they, they know he's done a great job uh, pushing a message on Trump. It's had a lot of effect here. It's been a very important part of the campaign. And I know a lot of those folks are having those, those conversations. All right. I want to ask about Ron DeSantis here, because he has slipped to fifth place in this poll. Are you surprised he now trails Vivek Ramaswamy? Well, you know, Ron's really put all his eggs in the Iowa basket. Um, he started doing that about a month ago. So not surprising because he's really hasn't done any of the ads or the ground game here. Um, so Vivek is just kind of stuck at, you know, five or six percent, you know, you know, whatever conspiracy theorists are kind of left in, in this race kind of galvanized around Vivek. But Ron's put all his eggs in the Iowa basket. He said he's going to win Iowa. Trump said he's going to in Iowa. They've really set a lot of expectations out there. So, no, I'm not I'm not too surprised that his poll numbers haven't have, have plummeted. Yeah, just given that he's he's putting all his emphasis in the in the Midwest right now. All right, Governor Chris Anunu, great having you on. Thank you. You bet. Then there's Iowa. Only six days to go before voters weigh in on this race. Does Ron DeSantis have a fighting chance there? You just heard Governor Sununu talk about the fact he put all his eggs in that Iowa basket. We'll talk about that. And what does it mean for candidates who appear to be losing support, such as Chris Christie and Vivek Ramaswamy? We're gaming it out next. Well, we are just six days away before voters in Iowa weigh in on who they want to win the Republican presidential nomination. Let's bring in Republican strategist Alice Stewart and former Democratic Congressman Andy Levin of Michigan. So thank you both for coming here. We have uh, the nice Michigan Wolverines t-shirt you're representing. Congrats oh, on blue. that win. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Great game. All right. I want to go to you first, Alice, because obviously there's a lot of focus. Republican hopefuls are focused on Iowa right now. But I want to talk about this New Hampshire poll. You just heard the conversation I had with Governor Sununu talking about Nikki Haley really closing that gap with Donald Trump in New Hampshire. Do you see this becoming a, you know, a two-person race at this point? It potentially could. I think the governor made some really excellent points. If, if she continues at the rate she's going and the momentum she is up going, 
there's a potential she could not only uh, bridge the gap with Donald Trump, but catch up to him and potentially beat him in New Hampshire, that is. And look, that is uh, a little bit further down the road. But she has done everything that you need to do uh, in New Hampshire, doing the good, solid retail politics, having a more moderate message in those uh, independent and the undeclared voters that are in important in the New Hampshire primary. Those are the people that she's really resonating with, with her message. And it certainly doesn't hurt to have Governor Sununu in your corner out there campaigning. Uh, the, the challenge now is how will she compete in, in Iowa? This is going to be a battle outside of Donald Trump for the second place between she and DeSantis. And this is going to be a battle of uh, her momentum and his uh, mechanism that he has put in place with regard to our already identifying voters and the commit to caucus. So I'm interested to see how she comes out of Iowa and how that uh, sends her heading into New Hampshire with the wind at her sails. Uh, how do you see it? And I'm wondering why you think Nikki Haley is doing so well in New Hampshire and the polling. Well, I, you know, I think that if Donald Trump is the leading candidate in your party, um, it's an emergency to find someone else. The Republican base doesn't seem to be going for it a lot, but Nikki Haley's doing a better job than others at trying to work in New Hampshire. To, to me, she's as MAGA as the rest. She's for, she said she would sign a six-week abortion ban as president. I mean, Many women don't even know they're pregnant when they're when they're I mean you know when they're six weeks along, and you know she said she's for uh, gutting Social Security and and Medicare. Um, she's been for the Freedom Caucus extreme cuts in in domestic spending. So I, you know whether she can uh, come off as sort of moderate, uh, the MAGA extremism has taken over the Republican Party, and I don't think that is going to bode well for her. Ultimately, I think people will probably stick with Trump. Look, I, I think to push back just a little bit, she's made it quite clear her position on abortion, which has been a little bit more moderate than some of the others. She is saying, look, let's stop demonizing this issue and demonizing women in this situation, and let's find where we can have reasonable compromise on this issue. Let's talk about abortion limits and not bans. So I think the fact that she's found a more nuanced position on this has helped her in a state like New Hampshire, which is uh, trying to get away from the more extreme positions on, on this issue. And the fact that she is talking to the people of New Hampshire who want to turn the page on Donald Trump and look at her as someone who uh, is less chaos and less drama and is willing to uh, have a more moderate conversation on these key issues and showing her strength with foreign policy. And her big issue and the strength in New Hampshire, the live free or die state, is the fact that let's get away from too much government and put more responsibility back in the hands of the people. And of course, it was um, what a couple of weeks ago when your answer on the Civil War and what caused it caused quite the quite the stir. And, and the Civil War continues to be a topic that Republican candidates keep talking about on the campaign trail in 2024. This is what Donald Trump had to say this weekend in Iowa. Let's listen. The Civil War was so fascinating, so horrible. I'm so attracted to seeing it. So many mistakes were made. See, there was something I think could have been negotiated, to be honest with you. I think you could have negotiated that. All the people died. And then Ron DeSantis held a virtual press conference with Iowa media yesterday, and this is how he weighed in. He couldn't even negotiate funding for a border wall when he had a Republican Congress. The more Iowans see kind of, uh, you know, this Trump versus the Trump that they knew, uh, I think that you're going to see more and more people who are going to be open to go in a different direction.
All right, so like he's clearly been ramping up his attacks on Trump. Where has this guy been? Well, that's a good uh, question because, look, all of the candidates that are running against Donald Trump have been very cautious uh, about attacking Donald Trump because, A, they don't want to get the punch back from Donald Trump and they don't want to alienate his base. Now they're realizing that's not working. I'm way behind Donald Trump, 20 and 30 points in some of these states. So they're fine-tuning their messaging and going after him, not just on as as... DeSantis just said his inability to uh, have Mexico pay for building the wall, but going after Trump on, on many of the issues that in terms of his tone and tenor and DeSantis presenting himself as someone who is a new generation. And also, I'm here to look forward and what is best for the American people, whereas Donald Trump is looking at his past uh, legal woes and his past grievances and trying to garner more support but based on his legal woes and not what's best for the American people. Ron DeSantis needed you a long time ago. I mean, <laughs> politics is a rough sport. You got to go after the front runner. He's failed to do it. Doing it at the 11th hour like this, I'm not sure it cuts it. But the Republican Party in general has a problem with racism. I mean, Haley saying that the Civil War wasn't about racism. Of course, she comes, tries to clean it up later. And then Donald Trump just completely out of line saying, oh, we should have negotiated that. You don't negotiate about slavery. It's wrong. And, you know, it's just not it's something that is just out of bounds. I just want you to respond. Like, he, he just said your party is, has a problem with racism. Well, anyway. let's be let's be clear. Republicans know full well that slavery was the root cause of the Civil War. Republicans know full well there's nothing fascinating or attractive about the Civil War, which Donald Trump says. And Republicans realize there was no negotiating away from uh, the Civil War. The reality is, look, Republicans were the, the Abraham Lincoln was the Republican president who led us away from slavery. So we deserve certainly some credit for that. But Republican voters also recognize the fact it's not time to let's have a history lesson on what happened in the past. We've learned from that. Let's talk about what we can do to improve the future and make sure that we can work on race relations moving forward and what's best for the American people with regard to our economy and securing the border and inflation and issues such as crime and safety in their own neighborhoods. And that's what they're You know, I think now. the record of the modern Republican party, party speaks for itself. From Nixon's Southern strategy to George H.W. Bush's Willie Horton ads, where did... Where did uh, um, Ronald Reagan started his campaign in the county where civil rights workers were murdered. Why would you go there? I mean, the Republican Party has had a political problem uh, with racism for decades, and Donald Trump is continuing it, and, Christy, and Haley couldn't even answer the question. I think it's clear. She, she understands. She misspoke. She corrected it. And the voters we're seeing are understanding and respecting the fact she made a mistake, she corrected it, and she's moving on. All right, we don't have time to do more of a deep dive on history, but thank you both yeah. so much for that conversation. We appreciate it. And the conversation continues tomorrow. Jake Tapper, Dana Bash will moderate the CNN Republican presidential debate live from Des Moines at 9 p.m. Eastern right here on CNN. And a dramatic scene on live TV, armed men in masks and hoods force people to the ground. The unrest that has led to this terrifying scene up next. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts.
And the national lead, a wide-reaching storm is causing havoc in several parts of the country today. Tornadoes creating damage such as this in Florida's Panhandle. Homes and businesses left barely standing. The storm killed one person in Georgia and another in North Carolina. Right now, more than 30 million people are under severe storm threats with blizzard conditions in the Midwest and flooding in the Northeast. More than 500,000 are without power, and that number likely to increase as heavy winds and rain get worse throughout the night. And in our politics lead, finally some answers after Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's secret hospitalization in the middle of a brewing global conflict involving U.S. troops in the Middle East. In a statement this afternoon, Walter Reed Medical Center explains Austin was treated in late December for early stage prostate cancer. He was readmitted to the hospital January 1st for severe pain and an infection. A hospitalization the White House, President Biden and Austin's own deputy were unaware of for three days. CNN Pentagon correspondent Oren Lieberman is with us now. Oren, did the Pentagon explain why Austin didn't notify anyone? Pam, there's the personal side of this in which a statement from Walter Reed and the Pentagon in a press briefing pointed out that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is a private person and the decision to treat prostate cancer is a private decision. But this isn't just an average citizen. This is the Secretary of Defense of the United States. So some of that privacy simply isn't there. And that leads to the question of why is it that President Joe Biden didn't know that his defense secretary was in the hospital, that the deputy secretary of defense didn't know for days, and that neither did other senior administration officials. There's also a question about whether anyone knew that he was under general anesthesia on December 22nd when he was initially treated with a minimally invasive surgery, according to Walter Reed, for prostate cancer here. He spent the night in the hospital there. That too, a major question here that uh, has yet to be answered. The Pentagon saying that they've initiated a 30-day review of the notification procedures. They say it was his chief of staff, Kelly Maximin's job to pass on the notification to others, but she had the flu is the answer or excuse we're hearing from the Pentagon here. Still, his senior military advisor knew and didn't pass on the notification. So the Pentagon saying they're reviewing this as part of this 30-day process. The White House clearly concerned as well because they've told other agencies to look at their protocols as well here. Yeah, so what else is the White House saying? And it seems like from the reporting coming in that the president is still learning about um, Austin and his condition and having prostate cancer. And this is quite stunning, especially since President Joe Biden and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin are supposed to be pretty close. Biden didn't know that Austin was in the hospital until January 4th, three days after he was admitted. And Biden only learned today that his defense secretary had been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Here is the National Security Council's John Kirby explaining this. Nobody at the White House knew that Secretary Austin had prostate cancer until this morning, and the president was informed immediately after we were... Did the president or the White House instruct Secretary Austin to make this disclosure today? No. Does the president plan to stick with Secretary Austin through the rest of the term? Yes. The Pentagon now promising daily updates on Austin's health. And the defense secretary, we should know, is still in the hospital. What did the Pentagon say about his recovery or his schedule? No specific date for when he'll be released from the hospital. The doctors who released the statement from Walter Reed earlier today say his prognosis is good. Prostate cancer was detected quite early here. But they caution that even with a good prognosis and him being in good condition, this is a process that can take quite a bit of recovery here. So there's no specific date on when we can expect to see him back in the hospital. Worth pointing out that he did resume his duties on Friday. He is carrying those out at this point from the hospital. All right, Oren Lieberman at the Pentagon, thank you so much. 
And turning now to our worldly dramatic scenes today in Ecuador. Have you seen this? Hooded gunman stormed a state television station during a live broadcast taking hostages. Ecuador is in a state of emergency, a declaration made after a notorious gang leader escaped prison. CNN's Patrick Ottman is following this from Havana, Cuba. Patrick, the TV station incident is just one of many troubling events. Yes, there is a, a wave of violence uh, that has been committed by these uh, gangs, these armed violent gangs that are linked to drug cartels. Uh, they have attacked the universities, attacked police, uh, attacked uh, prison guards, and you have this uh, absolutely stunning uh, video that uh, you just showed uh, of these uh, armed gunmen coming into a TV station in Guayaquil, Ecuador, while it was live on the air, threatening employees, pushing them to the ground, pointing guns at them. It appears uh, the police have retaken control of this TV station. They are showing uh, pictures of some of these alleged gunmen on the floor with their hands uh, tied behind their backs there. Uh, they were saying that they were able to go in and arrest them and, uh, and rescue uh, the uh, employees of this TV station. But this is only one incident that apparently has been kicked off uh, when one of the most notorious uh, uh, gang leaders in this country just uh, walked out of prison uh, just before he was supposed to be transferred to a maximum security prison. A uh, man known as Fito, a notorious gang leader, uh, escaped, and, and still not clear how he did that. The president of Ecuador, Daniel Noboa, today declaring several of these gangs to be terrorist groups and is ordering the military to take to the streets to fight them. Uh, but these uh, gangs, they are not giving up without a fight, and they're saying that they will resist and fight back, and that is what they have been doing, uh, and they say they will continue to do as the Ecuadorian government tries to bring uh, the gangs under control. Patrick Gottman, thank you. Coming up, new allegations against the district attorney prosecuting Trump in Georgia, accusing her of having a romantic relationship with a lawyer that she put on the case. In our law and justice lead, a twist in the Georgia election subversion case. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is now accused without concrete proof of having an improper romantic relationship with a private attorney that she hired to be the lead prosecutor in the case against Donald Trump and 18 co-defendants. Now, one of those co-defendants claims in a new court filing that D.A. Willis also may have benefited financially from hiring private attorney Nathan Waite. So let's bring in Tamar Hallerman, a journalist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who has been following this accusation closely. Thanks for joining us, Tamar. So who is Nathan Wade, and how long has he known District Attorney Fonnie Willis? Nathan Wade is the special prosecutor who's really been spearheading this Trump election interference case in Fulton County, more or less since the beginning. He joined in fall of 2021. He's been working closely with Fulton DA Fonnie Willis as she collected evidence in the case, signed off on subpoenas, interviewed witnesses, helped negotiate immunity deals with um, potential uh, witnesses. Um, and he's known Fulton DA Willis for several years now. Um, he was assigned to mentor her back before she became district attorney when she was serving as a magistrate judge. And so he was a part of her transition team, helped her staff up her office, and really has been an integral part of this election interference investigation. So what exactly is alleged here and what evidence is there to support the allegations? These allegations certainly are striking. Um, 
Ashley Merchant, who's the attorney for defendant Michael Roman, um, has alleged that Nathan Wade and Fonnie Willis have been in a romantic relationship since before he was brought on to this case. And she alleges that they've traveled all over the country together. They've taken cruises to the, the Caribbean, allegedly, and that Nathan Wade used some of the money that he earned as special prosecutor in this case to help pay for DA Willis's um, transportation allegedly on these trips. But the evidence is, is pretty scant in these filings. Uh, Ms. Merchant, the attorney who filed this, uh, mentioned or at least indicated that some of this evidence has been sealed as part of Mr. Wade's divorce filings as, uh, as he battles it out um, with his former wife. And those records have been sealed. She says she's fighting to get a hold of them. Um, but until then, the allegations are out there with not much to back it up. So the big question is, right, this has to do with Trump. How could this impact the case against Trump legally, politically, both? Well, let's take this in two pieces. I mean, politically, this is already an issue that is being seized upon by Fonnie Willis's Republican critics. In the state legislature here in Georgia, you're seeing Republicans using it as a reason to strengthen a new prosecutorial oversight commission that was created last year. Um, we've heard critics who, who said it's yet another reason not to trust what DA Willis is doing in Fulton County and really to try and undermine whatever may come out as a part of this trial. Legally, we're still waiting to figure out what all of this means. Of course, we're waiting to see what kind of evidence Ms. Merchant brings forward um, eventually at some point. And we're also waiting to see what DA Willis has to say about all of this, as well as Nathan Wade, the special prosecutor. Um, they have not weighed in. They've said that they will respond in upcoming court filings. But Otherwise, we have no idea what may come out of all of this. And so I, I think there is a real question about what happens moving forward. There are some folks who I've spoken to who say that this is more of a case of bad optics more than anything else. But Ms. Merchant, the attorney who did file um, these allegations, mentioned how she believes not only is this a conflict of interest, but she believes it could file or it could um it could be running a, against laws that, that make it illegal to, to profit um, against government actions. We will have to wait and see what happens. Tamar Hallerman of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, thank you. Thank you. New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers was back on the airwaves today. He weighed in on his feud with comedian Jimmy Kimmel and a lineup of debunked conspiracy theories. When New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers made his weekly appearance on ESPN's Matt, uh, Pat McAfee show today, which did not include an apology to ABC TV host Jimmy Kimmel, Rodgers has faced backlash after suggesting last week that Kimmel might be listed in the Jeffrey Epstein documents. Rodgers made a brief mention of Kimmel today, instead doubling down on debunked conspiracy theories, particularly about COVID and vaccines, raising questions again about misinformation going unchallenged on a platform Disney owns. Let's bring in CNN senior media reporter Oliver Darcy. So uh, Oliver, Pat McAfee said today he would check Rogers on anything uh, that he knew was not true. Well, he didn't do a good job, Pam, because uh, Aaron Rodgers was uh, once again peddling all sorts of conspiracy theories and nonsense on ESPN when he uh, came and responded to Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, he was talking about how vaccines supposedly cause injuries, which of course is, is uh, something rejected by the medical community. He uh, once again attacked Dr. Anthony Fauci, 
obviously a widely uh, respected public health authority. It was uh, really a, a repeat of what we've seen uh, Rogers do on ESPN during the Pat McAfee show every Tuesday. He comes on every Tuesday, and often the conversation uh, goes down this rabbit hole where he starts spreading conspiracy theories. And that's why last week he suggested uh, falsely that uh, – uh, Jimmy Kimmel would show up in these Epstein documents, and that's why now he's, uh, you know, getting Disney and, and really dragging the brand through the mud uh, mm-hmm. with with these uh, nonsensical vaccine conspiracy theories. Yeah, I mean, I remember it was I think like nine years ago I met him, um, and he knew I was a CNN reporter, and he was spewing a very disturbing debunked conspiracy theory to me. Um, and that was many years ago. And clearly, uh, he just continues with that mindset. So anytime you have Aaron Rodgers on, you got to be ready to fact check, apparently. Disney owns both ABC and ESPN. Is there a sense of where CEO Bob Iger stands on this? Uh, Bob Iger has, has actually remained silent uh, during this entire affair. And it's actually uh, quite stunning at this point because you had Jimmy Kimmel, which is one of Disney's brightest stars, Uh, being smeared within the Magic Kingdom's own walls and Bob Iger really not saying anything. Of course, Disney owns ESPN. And so when uh, you have someone like Kimmel attacked on Disney's own air, it's it's really remarkable. And you got to wonder at what point uh, does someone like Bob Iger... you know, address this because uh, this is a, a he has a he has a lot of problems on his plate. Uh, but this is certainly a gnawing headache that's not going away anytime soon. Uh, this is what happens on the Pat McAfee show. Aaron Rodgers spreads these conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. and now Jimmy Kimmel has really uh, put a magnifying glass on it. And so, at some point, that Disney is going to have to say something. They seek to be this inoffensive, family-friendly brand, but when you have someone like Aaron Rodgers on there, it becomes something more akin to. Fox News and and injecting poison into the public uh, discussion. And that's something Disney certainly does not want. Yeah, no, I think that that's a very important point to make. Oliver Darcy, thank you so much. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 